0: Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. And Katie is out this week. She'll be back for our next episode. And today we are going to be talking about No-No Boy, which is John Okada's 1957 novel about a Japanese American guy who is, a, they attempt to draft and refuses the draft order in the internment camp. So this is certainly my pick. And The reason I wanted to do it, I've been waiting to do it for a long time. It's such a major foundational work in my field in terms of ethnic literary studies and the mid-century and in general, and its reception genealogy is fucking batty. Like, I will talk (laughs) about this, but it's a wild ride. I'm also interested in the literature of and after World War II and how, like, mask energy (laughs) gets (laughs) inflated and deflated and this book is hella about that. Uh, yeah. Really but like is. in a cool, smart way, not in a like, where's my penis way?
1: Yeah, no. It when I first started reading it, I felt it was like, oh wow, this this is a very, very fucking masculine book. But it was like, oh, but it is in order to be very kind of critical and reflective about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it has its weird moments, but I think it mostly does a good job. Teaching um, Housemaid of Dawn right now, it made me think a lot about the sort of like immediate post-World War II literature and keep – so I keep like sort of weirdly mixing those two books up in my head, which is a really strange thing to do. I will also note that I fucking love a book where a character keeps turning down jobs <laughs> because work is stupid. Yeah.
1: yeah exactly and and it doesn't you know in this case does absolutely does not solve the central problem that the book is about you
0: know no and like it's so offered up like wouldn't it be great to work for a nice white liberal and it's like no (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah thank you
1: Yeah, and what I, I love how the nice white liberals in this book are all really. You don't. <laughs> you know, but-
0: I know like, why. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: this book is affectively Pacific Northwest for me too. There's a lot about mists in the atmospherics, which I really like. Um, I feel connected to that for nostalgic reasons relating to growing up somewhere where the weather matches my personality. <laughs> And uh, this book also has a, a mad mother who's like, I think for, for real, I think she's not a hysteric, like she's not occupying that sort of genre of woman character. And I think we haven't talked about crazy moms enough oddly on the show.
1: Yeah, it it really, they crazy moms haven't come up. Actually, crazy or asshole dads has been much more oh. really sad. But given
0: how many like crazy moms there are in sort of like the history of the novel, yeah. I find it really like, wow, that seems like under described for us. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah that's fun. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought of that. But you're absolutely right. So uh, why'd you want to read it? So I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but another famous book, a, a graphic novel in this case about the internment of Japanese Americans is Mene Akubo's Citizen 13660. And when you and I taught this terrific class on liturgy and citizenship, Akubo was on your half of the syllabus. And it's a great book. It you know it teaches really well. I've taught it in another class since because I, I, you know, I had such a, I just thought it was so powerful and, and just also just so um, kind of rewarding to engage with. But one thing that really struck me the first time I read Okubo is her relatively brief discussion of Japanese Americans in, in the camps who refused the draft or maybe even vocally supported Japan in the war, like mm-hmm. not just refusing the draft, but no, like my loyalty is to Japan, not to the United States. And that's just a very different response to, and, and I think in, in resistance to certainly the violence of incarceration, being deprived of citizenship rights, of, of racism and nationalism than what kind of popular accounts of internment often focus on, which is very much about, you know, we get the hit, there's lots of stories about the heroism of the 442nd Infantry Mm -hmm. Regiment, which is, you know, highly decorated unit of of Japanese Americans. Um, And, you know, a lot, you know, lots of Purple Hearts, Silver Stars, Medals of Honor, all of that, which highlights, you know, all, all the Japanese Americans who were you know, eager to volunteer for service, even after that horrific experience of internment. And Akupo talks a lot about the hostility and suspicion of other people in prison in the camps mm-hmm. to the the no-nos, which Megan will get into what that means, why this novel is, is called that but I was really interested to read a book written from the perspective of someone who did refuse the draft, um, which is not Okada, but his, his main character, yeah, yeah, yeah. who wouldn't fight for a country that had clearly told them, you are other, you are the enemy. And I think, you know, given that for many Japanese Americans, the disruptions of family and community were permanent, uh, you know, they, they never went back to the communities that, you know, they lived in before the lives that they had before. I think that's a really important position to encounter and one that puts needed pressure on the fantasy that the U.S. is many tribes can easily be effaced by just oh well we just broaden americanness and that solves everything and you know that right. yeah yeah so i really enjoyed this book and and i'm i'm really eager to sort of talk through that stuff
0: or that it's like oh no there's no i mean i understand that there have been some reparations for japanese americans but not for first generation japanese for what it's worth and the national boundary is supposed is really like always drawn as quite Right, right. So it's like you're taking the side of the Japanese, you're taking the side of the Americans, and not people who are like, "Fuck you!" Like, why would I fight in your war?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly, and and yes, and and particularly after the I mean being forcibly stripped of citizenship, which yeah. I know that, oh, well, that's, that's not technically what happened. It's like, yeah, that is exactly it what is, fucking though. happened. It also, <laughs> I mean, just, well, I mean, like it, the, the racism is so blatant on its face that like no one with a fucking German last name had that experience in the United States, you know. But.
0: Where are all the Italians in concentration camps?
1: Yeah, right. And even the fact, the way that we still call it internment is just such of a, a kind of half-assed kind of whitewashing thing. It really belies what actually happened. But
0: Some people call it relocation.
1: Oh, yeah, which is even worse, which is, even, which is worse.
0: even worse. And the guy who used that term and sort of like was the manufactured, the process of relocation is the guy who planned American Indian relocation, which began in 1953. Wow. So he had plans.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's not that is not surprising. unfortunately. He
0: had he really was invested in um, the biopolitics.
1: Yeah. Of being yeah.
0: In the U.S
1: sounds like it but oh man but
0: so today we're going to be talking about work and the the mother character and the sort of question of the mistake or the refusal or choice with respect to the draft and then about its mask gender questions um so the summary of this is like okay the first sentence is from the book is actually just the best way to do this, which is two weeks after his 25th birthday, Ishiro got off a bus at second in Maine in Seattle. He had been gone four years, two in camp and two in prison. So he's returning from prison. He's going to stay with his parents who own a convenience store and stay in an adjoining apartment. But before he gets there, he runs into this guy, Ito who he recognizes from before the war and during the course of this interaction, it becomes clear to Ito that Ishiro is a no-no boy, which me- refers to one of the interned Japanese-Americans who refused to fight in the war. And we know that, that at that point, that, that is why he was in prison, is for draft refusal. Yeah. And... This is the first time we see this sort of like conflict among Japanese Americans in particular that is different from the conflict that's like between the Nisei and the Issei. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: This guy fucking spits on him.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I found really interesting about the novel is that that the pressure or the the like that you really fucked up by not you know basically doing this loyalty play you know fighting fighting for the U.S. That pressure comes like directly, as far as the main character is concerned, from the japanese american community which mm-hmm. is, i want to make very clear that is not in any way saying that like oh so see like white america wasn't actually that racist <laughs> right right, right. So, I, like, I don't th- and, and i don't think the novel is <laughs> suggesting anything like that i think it is like though like a, an important uh discretion of how like the material consequences of or the immediate consequences of white supremacism nationalism racism are sort of enforced within even within kind of communities that are pr- that that like the racist white also views them as as other two you know so i I thought that that was really kind of interesting feature of the novel
0: yeah and like it really goes to some lengths to show that the nation these like two nations are really being reified by the people who have done this right so it's like they're making something of they always say america what they mean is the u.s and always making something huge of japan right like as states
1: right and and so like you see in ito and, and that he spits on him this that like this is someone who is bought a hundred percent into like the myth of like Americanness, like you right know.
0: and right so he spits on him which is just awesome and then ishiro gets home and his father is in the story waiting for him and he the two of them have this like incredible parent child argument because his mother has gone to get bread and she's like walking and they have this conversation about how that makes no sense because they won't actually make a profit off of it. it'll make like 25 cents for them and it's way too much for it's just like we all relate right yeah, like mom yeah. why are you doing this thing oh because i always did it and it's this thing and i make 25 cents. and it's like what, what are you talking about <laughs>
1: yeah right yeah that, that, it makes no sense. what oh you're what how's the bus like oh you walk all that way but you're old yeah <laughs> okay
0: it took <laughs> 700 hours for you to do that
1: <laughs> right. It's like yeah, it's like my it's like when my dad drives like 30 miles to get gas, you know, <laughs> because it's cheaper. I saved
0: a dollar. It was ten <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cents a gallon
1: cheaper. Exactly.
0: You save a dollar, sir. Yeah. So and then he okay, so his mother comes back and over lunch she says, Okay, you have to go back to school. Um he had done two years of college as an engineering student, so that's a something that you could finish and get a job doing. And she says, with an education, your opportunities in Japan will be unlimited. You must go and complete your studies. And we'll keep talking about this as we go. This part is actually a little hard to describe. But she and a number of Issei think that Japan has won the war. So they're yeah. kind of cue.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: conspiracy theory stuff here.
1: Sad that Katie couldn't join us today because that was her. It's like, oh, this is is (laughs) QAnon.
0: It's wild. And she, okay, so this is, again, like his refusal is a a really problematic, in a strong sense of that word, issue in this novel. She's proud of him for having rejected military service because she thinks he's saying, demonstrating that he's really Japanese for doing that. Right. And didn't want to fight for the u.s so that's the she's very proud of him it's sort of yeah. different than i expected the first time and so he when he's home he and his parents go out to visit some of their neighbors and among the other families he this is his like third person close he describes two types and he also describes them as like japanese and american and that's not always generational but it means assimilated and non-assimilated and again those are like fraught terms i don't want to Overdetermined
1: that, and right, and I mean, his like his mom is the one who's like, we have to go make these visits, and like one family that they visit is entirely on board with her, like that. Oh yes, we're going back to Japan. Japan won the war. We're just we're waiting for the ships to come, but the other family they visit, their son had like died. For you know, fighting in the U.S. Army, yeah. and yeah, her mom just his mom just kind of storms out of their house, and I just kind of like because their her mom had to know that that's what happened, so I just was kind of curious. This sort of like kind of hostility embedded in in that, or if it you know anyway, it was it was a, it's a very uncomfortable scene, you know. It's
0: it's really uncomfortable, and it's again it's like all of these sort of like crossed wires about like what are we actually talking about here, right? Like, are we talking about the nation? Or are we talking about the particularities of the military industrial complex? Are we talking about race? Or are we talking you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. the book refuses to give us the skeleton key.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and Ichiro from the first page is mad about everything. Like, he's mad about what he he made the choice that he did. He's mad at his mom. And I think, like, a lot of what we see and that you'll get into is, like, him really sort of trying to find that key and he never can.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the – but everything that's offered to him also, like, feels like a pabulum So he's really he's – like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't like listen to any of these people either. And so when he's walking back to his parents' house, he sort of has this like inner monologue where he's talking about that there were a lot of reasons men, no-no boys, rejected military service, self-interest, national pride, a conviction of injustice, just malice. Like he talks about some guys who are are just get up there and are like, I'm going to bomb your house, judge. Like they don't say that, but (laughs) they say some like pretty wild things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And he has this moment where he says, my reason was all the reasons put together. I did not go because I was weak and could not go, could not do what I should have done. And this happens over and over again. It goes out of its way not to solve the puzzle. And then he goes home and his father's there and he's all drunk. And he says, mama is sick. <sighs> Means a mentally unwell.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So like I spent a lot of time on that first chapter because the foundation of this book is there for me the relationships so i'm gonna try to go a little faster ishiro although this is like kind of a madcap plot actually
1: (laughs) yeah it is it is for something that
0: is very much about like interiority and like the the i put in quotes crime he's committed it's like
1: yeah well the time the time frame is pretty compressed it only spans like a like a couple weeks really Mm -hmm. right like yeah Yeah. yeah
0: it's pretty weird. So he catches up with his friend Freddie, who is also a no no boy and totally bonkers. And uh, he's in this like threesome thingy yeah. arrangement that's, I want to say cuckoldry, but like maybe in, it's like bad because I don't want to yeah. make fun of it. But it's also it's, like.
1: It feels more of a like take my wife, please. Yeah, it's a <laughs> bit of a take
0: my wife, please situation. Yeah. And the book goes out of its way to describe how. What an uggo she is. And Freddie's like, Well, I gotta fuck her, but then I also get to drive this car. It's very strange. It's
1: very strange. It's
0: really strange. And okay, so there's that strange interaction at his apartment. And then Ishiro again gets on a city bus, and we get this another like 10 pages of his inner life. He says, It is not an easy thing to discover suddenly that being American is a terribly incomplete thing. If one's face is not white and one's parents are Japanese of the country, Japan, which attacked America. And again, this is the citizenship question that keeps rearing its head.
1: Yeah, certainly, and 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 that right, and and that like this is right in part two. He goes to visit one of his, his former college professors, or who's this white guy? and he's, yeah. and he's he, you know, he's like, oh, well, you can just come back. To school it, it's very weird because like the guy, I mean, I, the guy that, one, I think he's he's very you know like, oh, I've got to like apologize in some way for what happened to Japanese Americans, but he he like just kind of wants to move. It's like, well, why don't you just come back to your old life? And that's not gonna work, you know? right?
0: And that happened like almost like. Every other interaction feels like some version of like, hey, how are you? And then it comes around to the fact that he refused service and then everyone's (laughs) response is one thing or another thing and that's the end of the interaction.
1: Yeah, and and when and I think that they're all like sli- they're all slightly different, but they all point at the same thing, right? Which is all in, in the case of like every sort of like white uh, kind of like authority figure, somewhere certainly like under under capital that he he encounters. It's like oh, but like we can make this right, and it's like can you? Yeah. Right, <laughs> I don't know, you know because because the event is you know the incarceration of Japanese Americans, but like that is a manifestation and Japanese of, yeah, and Japan oh, yes yeah the, yeah, the, yeah the, the incarceration of Japanese and Japanese Americans. But the bigger, the bigger forces driving that are, I mean, one, that's a massive event to just be like, oh, well, sorry, that was a go right? our part. <laughs> right. But then, like, but even if you could, even if there was some way of, like, e- easily making that right, which there's not, the underlying structural issues, is just, you know, that this isn't, this isn't something to be solved by, like, well, just come be an engineering student again, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, like, also this. I'm sure whoever wrote a really good book about this, like, send me us your email about, like, the New Deal – not the New Deal, excuse me, the GI Bill and the sort Mm -hmm, of, like, focus on college for men after, whatever, 1948 and how that was racialized. Yeah. Because I think it's talked about some, like, with Black Americans, but not very much with – if that, I have no idea if it changed the college rates for American Indians or for Japanese Americans.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great. Yeah, I would, I would love to, I would love to hear more about that because I'm sure it's fucked up and very interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah, I just think it's probably really interesting in terms of the idea of middle classification. And then he, uh this is the citizen crisis. He then runs into this friend called Kenji, who's like, I cut. Two thirds of the secondary characters from this summary, (laughs) by the way. There are so many. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. He has returned from the war and he had his leg amputated and uh, he describes this process in which the doctors keep taking more and more of the remaining part of his leg because of developing infection. So, you know, he has an inch at a time, essentially. And... Later that evening, the two of them go out drinking and they sort of contemplate their very different experiences with respect to, again, entangled like racism, uh, the prison and military industrial complexes. In general, these conversations are very fun and we should uh, have them in bars and talk about prison all the time. <laughs> and at the very end of the night, they go to Kenji's friend Emmy's house. And there are like all kinds of romantic entanglements here. Like her son signed up for a second tour of duty without telling her. So she's like mad at him. And but she can't figure out whether she wants to get divorced or not. And Ishiro really looks at like him and puts on his clothes and some. Anyway, very yeah. weird. And then when they're all turning in for the night, Kenji tells Ishiro to take the bed with Emmy. And it initially sort of seems like, what? Weird. Uh, but it's actually kind of sweet.
1: I thought so, too, and and kind of heartbreaking in in, in a way as well, because Kenji and Emmy are friends, right? And you seem to be pretty kind of close friends, also with the way in which... Kenji's leg is, and he does, he's like, mm-hmm. how, like, you know, basically, like, so I've got 11 inches of my leg left, and you've got, you know, like, would you trade that, right? Because Ichiro is like, well, why don't you and Emmy, you know, hook up? Aren't you Ke- sleeping in the bed? Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically like, no. Nah. For Kenji, like, the experience of war is a loss of quote unquote masculinity in a bodily sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Ichiro, that again, I put scare quotes around, but I think the novel also put scare quotes around this, is, Is not. It's it's more in a in a social cultural sense. But like for both of them, there is there is something about the way like manhood in mid century America is supposed to operate that doesn't for both of them, and and, as a direct result of various violences that happened in and around the war.
0: Yeah, and even like when we, he's not actually a character in the novel, but when Emmy talks about her estranged husband. The book clearly acknowledges that signing up for a second tour of duty is like, oh, that's the way you're gonna prove that you're a dude. Yeah. what an absolutely yeah. ridiculous, pointless, yeah dangerous reckless thing that is that ruins the people around you
1: definitely and and i think too that i mean because because kenji has uh has a medal from the war and he's you know he's got like a new car and stuff that was it was kind you know that he he got i think it was a family present as a result of his you know his his injuries but okay so ichiro is deeply conflicted and mad about like the decision he made and like well if only i had had agreed to serve well kenji did agree to serve and is he's at least as mad (laughs) Yes, I think more than arguably, like I mean, Ken Kenji's fucking dying. Like you know, it's not. Yes, this didn't this didn't solve anything in that situation either. You know,
0: but right. And this is like she mentions the next day that like her husband Ralph and his brother Mike are also at odds because Mike refused to fight. And there's this ishiro also has this brother Taro, and he has just signed up for the military service, which at the time seems like. Bro, you got a couple of years until you got to go to Korea so I don't know what you're doing which is also horrible and immoral but he's signing up for the military and they're all these like brother pairs where somebody does and somebody doesn't
1: yeah no no and and it, it really puts pressure on the sort of like narrative of the communal response to like what happened yes. you know
0: yeah, or that there would be that there is one like yes, in a right, unifying is, yeah. sense you know what I'm saying yeah, right exactly, so it's like yeah. that it would be like as a group we feel like no, that's not how it worked. No,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: You've just shoved us into a place altogether that are horrible, hot, dusty, and awful. Yeah. And that's like not indicative of like what we all think or feel or where our right. loyalties lie.
1: Yeah, and, and the fact that the fishers are in within families too, right? That it's not, you know, that, that it, it is very, so individuated precisely because it is so extremely fraught and like a no mm-hmm. good answer situation.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think the book does so well. Yeah. And then he returns home and he, there's this scene is really upsetting. And his mother has received this letter from a sister that lives in Japan. She hasn't heard from her in years. And the sister asks for her, she asks her to send food. It's very upsetting. And the sister writes, I have found it difficult to write of unpleasant things and all has been unpleasant since the disastrous outcome of the war, which proved too vast an undertaking even for Japan. And we know that for the mother, this is like the idea that Japan had won the war is basically something that had been like keeping her together. Yeah. Because she had been pilled. Yeah, And again, like a real historian, tell me in what ways I'm wrong, but Japan had almost like never won, lost a war.
1: Right. No, I, yeah. The, the, well, the, I guess they just they had just beaten the Russians, right? In the in the <gasps> Russo-Japanese War. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that the historic narrative of the kind of samurai it was like, so, you know, it's such a like kind of important sort of like cultural icon, you know, but
0: Japanese that they are the colonizing force in east asia for a while like they certainly colonized korea parts of china it's not like a like a really sort of jingoistic japanese nationalism like would lead you to believe that they had won
1: yeah no definitely definitely um and 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 the way it developed too in the late 19th and early 20th centuries kind of as a response to to european colonialism and Mm -hmm. then sort of like patterning on that kind of model yeah it's yeah there's, there's a lot happening there. But yeah, that, that she can't, basically the thing, that she can't survive the loss of this sort of fantasy.
0: Yeah. And then for me, Chapter 6 is kind of an odd turn because we're in Kenji's point of view and also his father. The father is also super fucked up about the war in his case because he's, again, assimilated, like whatever that means. He's happy living in the United States is really right. what the sort of upshot is there. And right. Kenji had lost has lost this leg, experienced this amputation. And- I think something to really note here is that this book really doesn't fetishize the idea of sacrifice. It's like comes up in I feel like every fucking work about the military that I can think of, you tell us about things that happened in the 16th century and how people were dicks about it. But like the red badge of courage is, is like whatever crane is not a supporter of the fucking war. But like (laughs) the idea of sacrifice is central to that, quest series of questions right and so in this yeah. it's like what do you give up and then what do you gain like nobody gains anything yeah. or loses more
1: than anybody else right and and yeah like that's that's right well and i think too that like that whole question takes on such a different meaning when you are from you know when you're someone who's been you know, that your access to that whole, like, well, like, what what, what America means has been you know, really taken from mm-hmm. you, right? I think the narrative is like, yes, but if you see, like, the heroism of, of like, you know, the 442nd, uh, you know, that just shows the lie. And it's like, right, but I mean, like, the lie was already readily apparent, that, you know, of, like, what American this means. But also, wh- yeah, what the fuck does sacrifice in that set? For what and for who, you know? But
0: Right. It's just such a, like, not universal, but it's, like, such a commonly deployed a trope about military service is like thank you for your sacrifice. And it's like yeah it better yeah. be for something better than the fucking United States military imperial machine. Well and
1: I want it, I also want to like avoid going too far in the other that the novels like, yeah, so obviously the only choice was to refuse this. I, I mean I think it's also sympathetic to people who made the completely opposite choice of each row. The, oh, the point I agree. is that yeah. it's like there is no tidy resolution out of this, no matter what choice one made.
0: Right. And that like is that sacrifice worth more than Ishiro's sacrifice of two years? And why are those the choices?
1: Yeah, and, well, two years, and also his family too. Like he does, you know. Yeah. On the other side of that, he does. He's he's isolated from his parents, from his brother. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: right. And from other people in his community. Again, not everybody, but yeah, there's a lot of conflict around that. So they the kenji and his father they all have dinner with their large family which is very you know unified and sweet and kenji tells his father that he's had this recent pain in his leg and it's clearly become more serious and he's going to portland with ishiro to have it checked out but he's clear that he's scared of this
1: yeah
0: once they're in portland ishiro begins chasing leads on a job which leads him to this engineering office this is an incredibly strange scene in the book his the boss mr carrick is really nice to him he speaks japanese he's had japanese friends and it's and he asks him like oh do you know somebody named tanaka which is like shit dude i know somebody named tanaka like <laughs>
1: right, right exactly yeah it yeah, is like a well that, that's a that's a common name yeah it's smith basically like smith right you know? yeah. yeah
0: it's like the name kenji frankly like yeah, if you know another yeah, yeah. guy like that yeah i think yeah. i know one of those anyway he also doesn't even mind that he's been in prison which yeah. does seem to be the conflict that ishiro is so worried about in these interchanges and the job pays really well But Ishiro, he does not take it. And this is another open-ended moment where um, his motives are sometimes quite obscured in this. And I think in a really generative way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, he needs a job and this one seems like a good job, but he doesn't take it and good for him. Work is done. But like, it's not totally clear why.
1: Right. Like, Mr. Carrick wants to think that just, you know, that he, like, he's going to make this right. And he he understands why, you know, why someone in his hero's position would refuse the draft. And, like, I don't think the novel wants us to think he's a bad guy at all. Like I, think oh, he I is, don't think you know, so either. But I think that, like, his fantasy of how this could be put right is insufficient. And, and yeah, we're like, okay, it's a good job. But, like, does a job solve any of this? It's like... No, no. <laughs> you know it doesn't. It, it
0: doesn't, and he's not under out any obligation to take a job of any kind. Yeah. Con- you know what I'm saying? It's like
1: yeah, well, right, right. And that's the thing that like okay, so so solving that, like, I guess, like the idea that solving this for ishiro would mean returning to like being a dutiful producer under U.S. Capital. And no, you know, it's like, it's like like whatever his dissatisfaction with how things played out, you know, after his decision has given him with like this, like his mom's fantasy of Japanese, which I think he, it's a little bit sort of self serving the way he tries to force all of that on the mother and like none of him. Okay, that doesn't work, but like neither does. All right, well, then I'll just, sure, I'll sign up for being part of the booming post war American economy, you know?
0: Yeah the industrial economy in this case right
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah
0: also i'm just pausing he's a hot guy so <laughs> like you know maybe he has hot guy stuff to do
1: yeah yeah exactly i yeah.
0: mean he's described as a hot guy but also like it's nice as a reader to be like this hot guy is doing things so he then goes to visit kenji in the hospital and it's clear that the infection in his the remaining part of his leg is is terminal And Kenji also has this like really interesting moment of like racial ideology where he says he reflects on being a soldier and says of the German he shot, I see him all the time now and that's why I want this other place, meaning the afterlife, to have only people because if I'm still slur for Japanese there and this guy's still a German, I'll have to shoot him again and I don't want to have to do that. So I know he's, yeah, he's arguing for like a sort of, he's not quite arguing for the colorblindness that it sounds like he is. Yeah. He's arguing against the state for
1: me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Although it's racially ideological too.
1: Yeah, right. Just the reality of what war plays out for as, you know, the individual soldier, which is that, I mean, yes, the German is, fi- I mean, not the, like Nazism is what's behind that, but mm-hmm. like- in the actual moment, it's, I don't know, like the, the the sort of the grand is sort of ideological contest just would have to recede in some way in the actual kind of moment of con- conflict between humans, you know?
0: Right. And of like, killing a person, right? Yeah. Like, I, can yeah. under- I think that's clear in this moment, like what a traumatic event that is.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: And then we learn that he dies later that day. And then back at Ishiro's parents' place, his mother hasn't eaten for several days. Like she's shut up in the bedroom and just completely not responsive. And then when he comes back from Portland, he comes into the house. His father is like passed out drunk, and the place is flooding. And so he breaks down the bathroom door and he finds his mother, quote, half in and half out of the tub, drowned. I think.
1: Yeah that that's my that that was my understanding. Of by what suicide.
0: Happened. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's so complicated. He's He hated her, so it's, like, yeah. very, very complicated. But what's really kind of needs some evaluating is that, like, the funeral stuff is really strange, right? So, like, it's at this Buddhist temple, and his father is clearly, like, incredibly relieved that the mother has died. Like, he just seems much better. He's not drinking anymore. He's making plans for the store. And it's, like, really just really fucked up. You know like how yeah. both you know why he feels that way and you also feel like very cringe.
1: And also, I mean, I, the the mother's illness was i very annoying to other characters because I mean, effectively it's it's you know someone who's like refusing quote unquote to acknowledge reality the dad is like slipped very far into alcoholism. The dad is Mm -hmm. also sick because of like what's and which I don't think is just that, oh, no, his wife is crazy. Like, I don't you know, I don't No, I totally agree.
0: It's not just him doing that self-medicating for that reason.
1: I think the mom's illness is a result directly of everything that's happened, as is the dad.
0: Yeah, this is just like one long list of such a group of like ptsd very much so from like every single possible point of view yeah and there's this moment you know emmy hears that his mother has died and she comes to visit and they go out dancing and it's like lovely and why can't he have nice things because nothing can be better after this
1: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. so in the last chapter ishiro meets. Back up with this absolute fucking loon, Freddie, yeah. and he tells him about all these like, oh, I got him to all these madcap adventures where I fucking knifed somebody. So like, he's good people and no way. Anything bad could happen around him. So they go to a pool hall and then they get thrown out because Freddie breaks a pool cue.
1: Freddie has rage issues. <laughs> he has some rage
0: things. issues, yeah. and also he's just a dick.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but but again, I mean, I think also we can read that as another sickness that has resulted from PTSD. Like his is rage at the world, and,
0: and in a way, the that, book like, says it, that.
1: Yes, and and in Ichiro also has the you know rage, but it's so inwardly directed, whereas Freddie's is very outwardly at 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 everything that he encounters. Yeah, and then some.
0: Kenji has a structural critique, right? So it's like. Yeah. There are as many ways of sort of like, however you want to put this, like coping, bearing, persisting, that are possible for a human.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So they go to this pool hall, and then they go to Club Oriental. Yes, it's called that. I didn't. No, I'm not. Don't send me emails. Where some, it's clear that like Freddie is like pissed off a lot of people, yeah. and um, he runs into this guy Bull who has it out for him. They go into the alley, and they get into this fight. And Ishiro jumps in and he's like bashing Bill and the bull in the face. And then Freddy gets into his car and tries to get away. There's something wrong with the physics here. Maybe you can help me. He runs into a wall, the car flips, and he's killed
1: in an uh, alley. Yeah, I don't quite understand what's happening there. Although I will say that cars pre-really 1990s are rolling death machines. That's true. I mean, this is a gross detail, but you used to be able to buy a lot of cars that had been in accidents. Because the car was fine, because all of the violence of the collision is directed at the softest object within, which is the, the human being. Whereas nowadays, cars get totaled at accidents that people walk away from because we, we just better engineering. We'll say right. That, you know? Let's
0: just say it's better engineering. <laughs> no, I mean like hearing the sort of possibilities of injury in those older cars is horrifying. Because yeah, like
1: yeah, yeah. the
0: steering column, like oh yeah yeah shooting impaling, like yeah. Um, yeah. injuring somebody because it popped yeah. all the fucking arteries in your chest yeah definitely don't drive a 1947 Oldsmobile. that's our psa yeah and so ishiro sort of walked he walks away from the scene he pats bull on the shoulder he was crying so we know that this is like the end of this conflict and here's the last couple lines he walked along thinking searching thinking and probing, and in the darkness of the alley of the community that was a tiny bit of America, he chased that faint and elusive insinuation of promise as it continued to take shape in mind and in heart. And there's a lovely, tiny intertextuality there, which is referring to Carlos Bulosan's America is in the Heart, which came out in 1946. So he has this sort of like, just little intertextuality.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. It's like... (laughs) It, the way it ends is so tense, and it just kind of madcap. But I don't know. It's like it, I don't want to say it ends on a hopeful note either, because I don't think that, I think that's reductive and not right. But I mean, I think it's like
0: openness there.
1: Yes, there's a ton of openness. I, I think I think it doesn't foreclose resolutions, but I think it also really wants to be skeptical about the ease or sufficiency of any kind of one of them to these sort of massive, massive problems. Um,
0: Yeah. I know why everyone didn't love it in the 1950s. Duh. Yeah. But like, this is just an amazing book, right? Like that scene is like, it has to end that way, right? Like it's the only satisfying ending.
1: Yeah. Because you can't
0: have any satisfaction in this book.
1: No, no, you can't. And right, and because I, I was kind of, I was like, oh, well, maybe he will get together with Emmy, but it's like, no, that maybe he does off the page, but that's not.
0: I that, want that as my, as a reader of the novel who wants it to tie up.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like, but part of the point is that these don't tie up. Maybe you would imagine that happened, but like that also doesn't solve uh, <laughs> the questions right. that have been posed. You it know? doesn't help. Yeah.
0: <sighs> so context wise, I the first thing I think is important is that. The no questions of the title, which are two questions on this survey quiz that um, people in internment camps had to answer, and the two noteworthy ones are, are you willing to serve in the armed forces of the United States on combat duty wherever ordered, and do you swear – Unqualified allegiance to the United States of America and faithfully defend the United States from any or all attack by foreign or domestic forces. And this is where it gets weird. And forswear any form of allegiance or obedience to the Japanese Emperor or any other foreign government, power, organization. And I think these are we just have to know what those things are, right? Like because the yeah. book doesn't tell us, yeah, really, yeah, and. They're important to have in mind when we talk about it because they're central. I am not going to talk about the history of internment because it's just too important and complicated and there are good books about it. So go read them. So instead there are sort of two points that dovetail with each other. The first is on these sort of points of emergence in Asian American literature and literary studies. And the other is on Okada specifically and how his work became canon in the field. So John Okada was born in Seattle in 1923 while he was a college student, he and his family were interned at Minidoka, the concentration camp in central Idaho or internment camp if you want to call it that. He joined the Air Force after being recruited from the camp, and after the war, he went back to school. He has like he got two bachelors and a masters in English from Columbia. Yeah. Very writery guy. Yeah. He wrote no no boy and it was published in 1957 and then for the rest of his life he worked as a librarian he was a technical writer he wrote some newspaper articles he died in 1971 he was 47 so really young and then after his death his literary biography actually gets much more interesting because in 1971 i think jeff chan this writer discovered no no boy like in a bookstore And together with members of this group called the Combined Asian American Resources Project, CARP, approached Okada's widow Dorothy about his work. She had burned basically everything after she couldn't find a publisher for a second novel and UCLA refused to accept his papers as a donation.
1: Wow. Um, Yeah, 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 it's wild. Yes, yeah. (laughs) oh man well i i guess we can speculate a lot about why why she did that but that is yeah that's crazy and 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 also that yeah that like ucla didn't want though it's like what the fuck you know but,
0: i know what is i <sighs> especially because yeah. it you know she said it had a second novel that he was almost done his brother says that there wasn't one so it's all like a uh, giant fucking mystery wow interesting yeah yeah it's really strange And then CARP, this organization, published No No Boy in 1976 with the permission of Okada's family. So that's Dorothy, his wife, and his two children. And it's part of this wave of Asian American literature that later coheres into the the field. And so um, there are a significant number of Asian American writers in the 40s and 50s. Hisei Yamamoto, who wrote 17 Syllables, Um, her short fiction was published. All over, Partisan Review and in other places in the 40s, and then Mine Okubo, who we mentioned, um, Carlos Bulosan is another of those people, and then the f- the field in its sort of official version is credited as emerging, I guess, like with the publication of the anthology Ie in 1976, as it included an excerpt from Nono Boy and earlier writers like Bulosan, and and it really pitched the case for Asian American literature. And I know that it will sound odd to people who work on other periods or who don't work on ethnic literatures, but these like strategic points where you have to say like this deserves to be a field are completely recognizable to people who work in like Asian American or American Indian studies or like any of these sort of minor minoritized fields.
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: And then there's some more weird shit recently (laughs) which is that in 2019 penguin classics reprinted the novel without the permission of the estate
1: how the fuck does that work
0: i don't know i guess they assume that like they don't have the resources to fight it
1: yeah, no, that's extremely fucked up. And because, like, copyrights, I think, are active for what? Is it 75 years? Something like that? I'm really not sure.
0: But it anyway. clearly was like, it was, but it doesn't even matter because it was already under a new copyright from the University of Washington Press. What the fuck?
1: Jesus Christ.
0: Since yeah. 1979, UW has published it. All the royalties from their sales have gone to the Okada estate. Yeah. So. I heard about this from the ASA, which is always, like, slightly embarrassing that you hear about things from, like, <laughs> professional affiliations. But they made a statement about this. And what they said is, like, for people like you and me, like teachers, just yeah. fucking do the UW press instead of
1: Penguin. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> Roger. you know. <laughs>
0: I know. And it's like, I know we can't be, you know, good consumers in capital. But I'm like, fuck you, Penguin Books, yeah, for that, though.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the the original publication is 1957. I mean, this isn't like some.
0: This is not in the public domain.
1: No right, and, right, and I love it. So I mean, the the, disc- the rediscovery. So, I mean, that is interesting. And I know it's easier for me to understand that than it would have been before. We had talked a lot about the vast quantity of stuff in the 20th century that you know is out of print but is still covered by copyright. And so, how hard is it, you know. Whereas you know, because yeah. it's like I, I I tend to would have thought that oh that's a problem for my period stuff that just disappears. But that story is like crazy enough. But it's like okay, right. But the fact that it was like rediscovered, it there's an estate. There's 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 another publisher. Like, what the fuck are you doing?
0: It's not out of print. I mean, and like, there's so much shit that's still out of print. I am absolutely confident, 100%, that there are novels by Native and Black and Asian American and Chicano and Mexican American and Central American ancestral people from this, the later 19th century and the first half of the 20th century that nobody's ever read. Yeah. I'm confident that there are like lots and lots that will still be discovered i mean it's just like if people are fine people find them now like they uh the scholar jean christophe cloutier found the claude mckay book like 10 years ago
1: yeah yeah
0: it's wild okay so like we in that summary i think i brought it up as like a choice a mistake or the refusal and how the book elides it to a certain degree yeah so what does it pose as that choice?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Actually, too, I, I just wanted to go back to the two that, you know, what like what no no means, uh, which is that those two questions that you said, you know, that basically will you serve and will you forswear any allegiance to the Japanese emperor, right? And so it's actually the case, which I, you know, it's a, an, an introduction I had read said that his answer to the first was clear no. His answer to the second one is more ambivalent that maybe he's actually a no yes or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So like that already, like that, I think that already does throw up some questions around the choice, but Kenji made the other, the absolutely other choice and is dead at the end of the novel, a pretty horrible death. Also, I think that the mom who Ichiro is so angry at as is the dad, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it is not, it is delusional to like insist that, you know, what happened did not happen, but That's also an entirely sort of understandable, I think, mental reaction to Mm -hmm. how the United States had treated them. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 absolutely, right? To a certain degree, you think we have to be winning if they're that committed to locking us up.
1: Right. So what is Ichiro's mistake? I mean, obviously, it did not, you know, like that refusing to serve did not uh, put him in a place where he is, you know, content with himself, with the world or anything else. But I think the novel also doesn't let us think that had he chosen the other thing, things would be any simpler or less fucked up, right? Uh, right.
0: Especially because like, when it's is his mistake, he goes to fucking prison, not a choice that anyone should have to make and i understand that like conscientious objection has a long history i'm not disputing that i'm just saying like
1: and it's just so fucked up to think of it as a as a choice when i mean again this is this this was basically uh this is a lot of decisions under under capitalism and under white supremacy it's fucked up to think of it as a choice when Mm. it's coerced in like multiple directions you know um So, I mean, I think that, like, there's parts in his sort of reflections on this where he basically diagnoses, like, why he said what he did, because he he had identified as Japanese rather than American, right? I wonder if, like, the mistake then is assume is assuming that any like of those sort of identity categories can be stable which is also not to say that oh like so hybridization or whatever is what it's actually after I, I think it's that assuming that a kind of untroubled sort of identity construction is either possible or is you know going to suddenly put the world into some kind of order particularly a world that is dominated by racist imperialism and capitalism
0: right I mean and I think that that's also like, even more tangled in that it's like these identity categories are, are slippery. You know, they're hard to hold. We see this with almost every character, but they're also like so deeply entrenched in the question of the nation, which is also like unstable and moving in and out of our focus. Right. So it's like the degree to which those are the same thing is not resolved here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like the biographical fallacy, I, I always say I hate to do that. But it's like one, fuck the new critics. And also, like, yeah, you know, yeah,
0: when's yeah, it, 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 it and we were wrong.
1: But I actually think that Okada himself invites us to do some of that in his preface when he went into the the army air corps um i think he was he says a, a translator so basically like mm-hmm. he, he was in a pl- in planes and they would intercept japanese radio transmissions and then he trans- that was kind of his job and so he's describing flying back to guam in a b-24 from you know flying over japan and he's having this conversation with like this big blonde nebraska guy who's like the lieutenant and the guy's like oh, he's always like, in
0: the world war ii movie isn't he yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh god uh, who, who would play this guy i'm trying to i try to think um oh man i yeah it's been so long since I've, I've watched that genre right now i'm just thinking of the the guy who plays uh fucking uh the giant guy a uh, bull in um in band of band of brothers which is
0: amazing. oh i mean i haven't seen it but like that's yeah. a trope so yeah. i know who the guy is in my mind yeah
1: but anyway, so this guy, he knows nothing about, like, the incarceration of Japanese Americans, and so Okada tells him about this, and he's just, like, dumbfounded, and so, like, the, so, and this is a quote from the, the preface, the, uh, the lieutenant believed him this time, hell's bells, he exclaimed, if they'd done that to me, I wouldn't be sitting to the belly of a broken down B-24 going back to Guam from a reconnaissance mission to Japan. I got my reasons," said the Japanese American soldier soberly. "Who's like Okada? Oh he's just he's kind yeah. of narrating this from the third person. They could kiss my ass," said the lieutenant from Nebraska. "I got my reasons," uh, said the Japanese American so, uh, soberly, and he was thinking about a lot of things, but mostly about his friend who didn't volunteer for the army because his father had been picked up in the second screening and was in a different camp from the one he and his mother and two sisters were were in. So, I mean, I guess like one question I have, and like why it's it's such a you know tragedy that we don't have Okada's sort of papers or more context on that is like if there was a any any kind of specific experience that led him someone who had had made the other choice but to like really kind of explore this kind of reaction uh to to it um i'm, I'm i do, yeah
0: i mean i maybe would want to like abstract it more in the sense yeah, that sure. yeah. that it's like how can you not if you come out of the camps That to reflect on a larger cultural, social, social phenomenon is necessarily to bump into every complication of it, right? So like, maybe that particular conversation really like, wormed its way in right so like would a white person be forced into these positions like well also you weren't fucking there were you
1: yeah exactly exactly and 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 i and i think too that i mean one reason why i wanted to just mention that preference and the 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 you know real life John Okada is because I think the sort of ambivalence that the novel expo- is so present in that preface, which is narrating mm-hmm. the sort of biographical experience as well, you know, and and the friend that he mentions has different reasons for what he did than, than Ishiro does, but yeah. but yeah, it is. I, I think that the dealing with that in a kind of close engagement, but also taking up this very sort of abstract question is is interesting, and I think it, it's what makes the book such a. You know, a really sort of interesting, very powerful kind of discussion of of these these ideas. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think that it's it feels weird to say like, oh, the novel does a great job of showing us all these points of view because it doesn't when you read it actually feel like it's shuffling through them. You know what I'm saying? It's not trying to say like, oh, here's this guy and here's this guy. It just sort of like demonstrates that this is like absolutely not an ideological needle that you can thread.
1: No, no.
0: Right. And it seriously doesn't give a shit about like, are you gonna forswear loyalty to the emperor? Because like, who <laughs> no, cares about no. the emperor except for his? I don't think his mom even says the emperor.
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I think maybe, maybe to the extent that the emperor symbolizes something about like an identity form that she, you know, ah, uh, you know, either really wants or feels compelled to to participate in. But yeah, it, it's a strange and arcane question, I think for sure. Um,
0: right. I mean, it's also like very much a sort of like the u.s military is like you'll you're here to defend us and also the president and it's like what
1: yeah yeah well the fucking pledge I'm right i mean like the the, the pledge of allegiance the, the the fucking stupid flag has basically the same symbolic function as like, the yeah. Emperor, you know? like
0: yeah do you um, right like pledge allegiance to the flag to i'm sorry to the what now to a piece yeah, of cloth excuse yeah, me exactly. yes,
1: yeah yeah allegiance oh it's to a, a symbol, magic right.
0: piece of cloth cool
1: yeah that's i oh God, it's such a i mean well all of nationalism is weird and nonsensical that is <laughs> yeah. just such a strange fucking ritual that american school children are, are compelled to do every day but,
0: it's just nice little jingoism for the children
1: yeah exactly um
0: so we sh- we got to talk about the mother though because i you and i are texting about this but it's like The degree to which she is losing it or, you know, clinging to this idea about Japan having won the war um, is filtered through Ishiro's voice is not, again, this is like, this book like offers you no jouissance whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: Like it just doesn't have space for it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So like the reason that he directly states why he's so mad at the mom basically is that like, you made me be, you made me choose being Japanese, even though like I, that was never open to me because I was, you know, I was Japanese American. I didn't have like that. That's just not something I could ever be. But I think what it's really, uh, he's more mad at. And and I think ultimately is, you know, is, is really tragic is that his mom, other sort of characters has try to respond to this kind of trauma by putting something back in a containable box, right? Like you think of like, uh, yeah, the reason why I'm the QAnon comparison, that is like a conspiracy theory thing. It's like, oh, everyone's lying to us that Japan lost. But I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, writing on, on like what drives a lot of conspiracy theories. And it is about trying to make the world which frequently doesn't make sense, which is driven by these massive forces that are very hard to understand into like a containable narrative, right? And that are like, okay, well, mm-hmm. actually, no, we won. that, And, and, and it's just people are lying to us. That solves all the problems. And I think that that, you know, Ichiro has kind of realized that there, is, again, there's no key and his mom believes right. that there is a key. And that's, that is like the substance of her quote unquote insanity, but also like the actual point of tension between the two of them
0: right and i think it's like not incidental the way that so he has this moment that i didn't put in the summary although i really wanted to where he's like he comes in i can't remember what the sort of scene is and he has all these reflections about like what does it mean to be you in japan who are you as a little girl
1: yeah yeah Like
0: he has these really sort of probing questions about her and i think one of the things that i found reading that given how long she has not lived in japan yeah what her conception of it as a place is as a series of like nostalgic memories versus what it has been like in the pre-war during the war and now post-war because for her it's like conceptual
1: yeah it's absolutely, and, and I think this sort of generational tension between the Issei and the Nisei is is so key, and and in some ways it maps onto stories that you hear from a lot of immigrant communities between you know the the you know children who are born in the United States or, or whatever country it, it happens to be. But I, th- I think there's a specific set of uh, of ways that this is particularized in the in the United States as there would be with any country. But you know the children are born and the, and the children you know so th- there's there's always that part of their sense of belonging or or. Also, the, their parents experience as well. Whereas, all you know, the parents, are very, you know, from you know, often you know, reached adulthood in a completely different place in society. You know, obviously, wartime and the, the internment question really uh, heightens things here. But I, I, one thing I do remember specifically on that from the novel is Ichiro talking about, like, kind of his frustration with the Issei, who like always maintained that they were just here in the United States to make enough money to buy. It's a place just temporary. Back to, It was just temporary. It was always just temporary, even though okay, you've been in the country for forty years and you're still living in a tidy apartment because you're like, oh, I not why would I buy a house or whatever? I you know I'm I'm going to leave, but but so like you know so there was already that
0: between like Kenji's dad who's like he bought a house because he like decided he was an American right like that's
1: yes yes
0: yes right so that's always one thing posed against the other with with respect to like identity categories.
1: And I think there's a little bit of envy towards Kenji's dad, too. And they're like, oh, see, he actually, he got it. But like, that is immediately undercut by, like, his dad is a broken man who's lost his son, you know? Yeah. So, but you're right. So so I think that, like, one thing we already, you know, I think there's always already that, uh, like, that the, this idea that the Issei are buying into this, okay, like, Ameri- America is just a place to make money, which is, which, uh, one, I mean, it, it, that, that goes against uh, just the realities of living in a place that nothing is ever that simple for Um, immigrants
0: in particular
1: yes right but then on top of that which i think is a fairly uh you know i think there's a lot of commonality across many different immigrant communities on on that sort of tension there's also the war and internment you know and 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 race certainly which is not you know i mean uh you know uh, other immigrant communities from from europe like certainly did not experience right. it, uh it, it to to that degree or or, or or certainly over that length of a period of time you
0: know and she her relationship to him and to Taro, who's like barely a character for what it's worth yeah. and to the father is totally characterized by this like conspiracy theory and parents there's like no accessible oedipal reading to me no
1: no no
0: right he's not she's not really his mom she's right. like another generation person who he reflects on and it's like who were you because he doesn't know anything about her
1: yeah no, I know well right and that and, and another thing that that like often, you know another sort of common um, experience from immigrant communities that the kids largely speak English if they do know their parents' language. Um, you know. And again, I'm generalizing a little largely. I mean, there's lots of people, obviously, for whom neither of these would hold true. But I mean, this is a common thing that the kids you know, mainly speak English, have a very fleeting knowledge of the parents' language. The parents speak like almost no English. Uh, and so, That, you know, there's that communication issue, even at a very fundamental level. But I think the other question, too, is that, like, okay, so this this relationship that Ichiro has with his mom post these events, is the relationship characterized wholly by them, or is it just it's continued something that was already a fracture in the mother-son relationship?
0: Exactly, right? And who even was she in the camps? We don't have a sense of who any of these people were, right? Right. Like, what mundane and painful jobs they had to do like what of the many boring and awful things that people did in the right like what were they doing we don't know because we get no picture of it and that's not a flaw of the story at all because it's supposed to be a sort of hugely determinate space that we don't have access to and that's fine
1: yeah yeah yeah. And, but yeah, no, exactly. But, but I do think, I mean, like I th- you're reading a lot and you know, it's your, I think is our, is he's our proxy. I mean, it's not, he's a fairly, I mean, I, you know, I think we, we sympathize with him. We understand like, you know, what he's going through mentally and emotionally. And, and so as a consequence, I think we do feel his anger towards her, but I also think that like the novel as a whole is pretty sympathetic to why why she uh has this relationship to the world and yeah. and uh but it's hard because i mean i think that li- like that that sympathetic understanding does run up against our sort of sympathy with ichiro which i think is is you know sincere and and, and that the novel really maintains you know
0: yeah i agree i mean and he doesn't treat either of his parents nicely it's not no. It's. I mean, it's. It's like he regresses a lot.
1: Yeah. No. Yeah. He. He. He very much. Like we like
0: all that. do. But like, whoa.
1: Yeah. It, it's like. It, well. But it, you know. And and it, beyond just the what happened in the camps and everything like that, he's kind of had his early adult years stolen from him. Absolutely. Like, I mean, he's, he's a teenager when he was sent off, so it's kind of like he goes right back into that kind of teenage relationship with parents. You know.
0: Right. Because all he is in that in the. Be- in the four years that intervene is is a, a prisoner
1: yeah exactly right? yeah. which
0: is like a completely its own kind of institutionalized position yeah
1: for sure for sure
0: so let's do it's when it's just you and me doing the show it's not we don't do games because we don't have our game dungeon master <laughs> here um we, we
1: don't have our our comedy our comedy writer uh, we don't
0: yeah. we all know who the breakout star of the show is let's all be real <laughs> So we're just going to talk about other writers who who have one hit wonders. And that sounds mean. It's yeah. not intended to. But like people who just who had one amazing book or one incredibly stupid book and how they're located in the canon.
1: No, totally, and and in Okada's case specifically, I mean, I get you know what he you know uh, he publishes this. I mean, I think like insanely bravely in the middle of the fucking McCarthyist, ultra racist, not as as if America is it's still 1950s, and it's like, yeah, this is not this is not going to like fuel like commercial success. So he's got to do other shit. I understand that,
0: you know. But it's like an amazing fucking book, and that's
1: no. Well, and, and the other thing, too, because I was think, I, I was like kind of dumbstruck by just like, wow, like having the fucking guts to publish this in the 1950s. But then I was also thinking like, but what's a better time to publish it? I mean, this yeah, is right, this exactly. fucking fresh and and I mean, stuff that you've got to say right then. So anyway, yeah, no no judgment at all implied at the kind of the, the one novel and 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 done or just never published anything else. Yeah,
0: or also like had to do fucking jobs. To pay your kid <laughs> to feed your goddamn kids and it's yeah. hard to write a book when you do that
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: so who's your pick
1: all right so i, I have a couple certainly so when we first had this idea um i was like ah oh, i'm gonna talk about jd salinger that'll let me duck on him and Megan's <laughs> like he wrote like four bucks i was like no he didn't you he
0: wrote, wrote like many novels
1: <laughs> he, did, he did but oh man he uh yeah uh we Brandy should it's always
0: good like it's actually good i, I haven't it really re- needs to go with she's reading the pilgrim's progress in that novel
1: uh, all right well hey maybe that's something to do i do think that like we and we're
0: doing pilgrim's progress next season
1: Yes, we will do Pilgrim's Progress. It will be it will be fun for our listeners, less fun for us. Um, the, uh,
0: <laughs> I think it'll be pretty fun. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, and and we should at some point we really should do Catcher in the Rye. It will be a dunk fest. It will suck to read it, but it'll also take thirty minutes because it's a dumb book. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway. But okay. So, but but as I was like, oh right, I guess he did write other stuff. It was some people were like, well, he, all his other stuff is only in novella, which okay. I hey, if, if that's the case, I'm going to say my boy, Lawrence Stern, because a, a sentimental journey yeah. is also novella length. So Tristram Shandy, that's a pretty great one and done what uh, and done novel. Um, but no, I was also thinking Wuthering that's Heights. it's iconic. It is iconic. I was thinking Wuthering Heights. I'm not a Bronte guy, but that is kind of a fun. It, it's like the Wuthering Heights is I think of as the like, crashy gothic romance at, at the peak of its form in some ways.
0: Bella and Edwards' favorite
1: book. That's right. Yes, that's right. Um, no, another, we should do the brontes at some point. But what I settled on was, and I didn't know this, Oscar Wilde, who, you know, he wrote he a wrote million so, things. wrote so much shit. He wrote a million things. The only novel that Oscar Wilde actually published was Portrait of, or Picture, sorry, was Picture of Dorian Gray which I'm gonna do next season for our Halloween episodes.
0: I am just pumped. I that book is much weirder than I remember it being.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And and I uh you got it's me. It's weird into- as fuck. It is weird as fuck. You got me into Penny Dreadful. I really like what they do the, with the Dorian Gray character. That yeah, it's great. No, but yeah, it's like wait, is that all? Wild, Publish? yeah, he was a playwright, and you yeah. know, I think. Uh, but but you're talking about the weirdness, Megan. Um, I mean, well, one, I mean, if like and, and weirdness in the best sense. Like the importance of being earnest is like an extremely queer play, as, as like most it oh, yeah. was. But I want to say another like wild, being very just uh, like you know avant-garde and out there, Salome. Uh, which is about the biblical? Soul. Oh yeah, that is a crazy play. I saw that on this um, this very sort of like avant garde production in in London. Where they had this was this was not in like the main London theater district at all, but like they had a, basically a pit of like crude oil in the middle of the stage that everyone just got like coated in. It was a very weird. That's production. awesome. It was great. It was fantastic. And I actually think it worked very well. But um, but yeah, Oscar Wilde one one novel, picture of Dorian Gray, and we're gonna we're gonna do it next year. Yeah, next I mean, season. Sorry. So
0: I I had a few also i wanted to say ken kesey because he only published two before yeah. running off into the woods to be a libertarian <laughs> pot I smoking shit yeah. heel yeah right by my house he sucks yeah. and there's a book about him does that count i don't know and then i okay i have two and both of them are actually writers of different things but one is sylvia plath
1: right the bell jar right which
0: is she said it was her pot boiler, right? She said uh, that like it was just it's the opposite of Fitzgerald, who said the novels were for me and the fiction was for money. Short yeah. fiction. Which is stupid. His short fiction is great. But I love that book. And I loved yeah. it in high school. And then I read it in grad school and I was like, this is still really good.
1: Yeah. That's all that's always great. We-, uh, yeah, <laughs> we we've talked about some things that do not uh hold up for high school. We've talked about other like the first time I looked at Moby Dick, I had no idea what the fuck I was looking at. Like the
0: third Time I read Pulp <laughs> dick I was like, I don't get it.
1: Well, the, the ship thing did a little bit more work for me than it went for you, but but no, but that's that's always great when it's like, oh, actually, I you know, this was I, I probably had dumb thoughts about it when I was sixteen, but it's uh, it, it still holds up as a, as a as a work of fiction.
0: Well, I think like also something of that is about over identification, right? So it's like you assume that the things you over identified with are going to be bad. Yes. Right. Yes. So teenage you was like, oh, I really felt. Like this person, and so when you read it again at whatever twenty eight, you assume that it's going to be terrible because you were sixteen and therefore yourself a bad person.
1: <laughs> right, right,
0: right. Which yeah. many sixteen year olds are not, by the way. I just over identified.
1: No. Yeah. Yes. And, and uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I also think we all tend to be a little bit hard on our uh, on our past selves, you know, on
0: our childhood selves. Yeah. yeah. I mean. It's. I feel weird when I meet people who are like, I read Jane Eyre and I identified it with with it, and then I read it at twenty eight and I identified with. I was like, Are you okay? <laughs>
1: yeah. That is an upsetting novel to identify strongly right, with, great. but well, can be, can be. We all identify with weird things.
0: And then my my true, the gentleman of my heart, Invisible Man is, and I will go toe to toe with anybody in this argument that it is the most important american novel of the 20th century it's just like it's structurally perfect its commentary is absolutely amazing it just opens your brain up to all these thoughts it's often really funny and satirical it's it's intertextualities are really brilliant and like you start to think with all these different people when you read it yes pedant's I know that Ellison wrote another novel that was posthumously published, but it was one of those like posthumously published from his notes kind of deals.
1: Right, right.
0: And right. I'm not always sure about that.
1: Right yeah and well and right and i i guess that because okay so um so okada apparently according to his wife but not according <laughs> to his brother yeah right well hey no i mean yeah and we we've got to do invisible man on the show at some point but if we if we it accept might be that too
0: sacred to me
1: <laughs> I, I hear it. i mean you know what? like i had those fears about tristram shandy and it was actually it was lot a
0: fucking lot. blast it was shandy. yeah
1: uh, but I was going to say, if we accept, like, Lawrence Stern as a, as a one novel guy, which I, a sentimental journey is a novel, so it's not really true. But, I mean, that, you know, uh, I mean, Invisible Man is at least probably substantially more for the 20th century than uh, – Well, I mean, no, Tristram Shandy did, like, kind of shape 18th century Tristram Shandy is a
0: huge ways. deal. I think you yeah. can absolutely make, like – major claims about it as big yeah. as you can about whatever Tom Jones or yeah I don't know. What do you what do you
1: people think? No, no well, right. I mean I think <laughs> and I think Robinson we, Crusoe probably. Yeah. Well and just in terms of like that, you know, well I eh, Crusoe's not that innovative because like it does do a lot in terms of the development of realism, but other novels were doing that. The the thing the reason why Shandy Went so long through the 19th century when people were like, "What the fuck is this?" I'm not, t- I'm not touching it. Is because it was so weird in a way that I think it like it opened up a lot of things that a novel can do in a way that people really were not
0: ready for. You're too (laughs) freaked out.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, Invisible Man. That's, that's great. And also I kind you know, I, I, I'm not you know, by any means a scholar of your period. uh, But I am kind of surprised to to, to realize that about Ellison, that he, that that was his, that was this kind of one, one thing. Yeah.
0: I mean, he was Um, a really prolific essayist. And so, and his, he has lots of, collections of his essays that are like absolutely amazing so he has lots of other stuff
1: right so that so that's kind of like uh with wild that he was he was just Mm -hmm. writing in other other mediums no that's great uh the other one that we have to mention uh because people are gonna be like well what about is uh is is to kill a mockingbird of course right like of
0: course uh, well she had a she also had a late yeah she's alive
1: but she was, and a lot of, co- talking about controversial publication <laughs> decisions. Shit, right? <laughs> go Around go round ghost Out of watch but, and, and I was also reading, isn't there now some controversy as to whether that actually was like a sequel versus it was just like an early draft of Mockingbird?
0: I have heard that there's nonsense around this that I have mostly chosen to ignore because like <laughs> that novel is really important for middle school English teachers and not marry many other people. Right,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. I, uh, yeah. 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 It's well. That's an actually that is another one that I would because when I was you know fourteen I was like this is amazing and I would I would you know like to <laughs> at some point go back and revisit it.
0: No, we should because it's yeah. I haven't read it probably since I was fifteen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. No. A lot. Yeah. A lot. A lot. A lot. A lot of one hit. Uh, one go hit read some
0: something. of the. Uh, or if you dear listener feel like i only got one novel in me (laughs) it might be amazing yeah
1: yeah definitely
0: you don't know This has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Tessasaurus. You can find Tristan at TJ Schweiger and Katie at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if you want to share your favorite one novel only. We really do uh, think some of them are amazing. Um, Our intro music is Lev Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content rate to review subscribe please we love that we're getting some new listeners it makes us all feel very good in our tummies we're off next week and then we'll be back with uh jamaica Kincaid's lucy charles brockton browns Wheeland, and our season wrap-up after that so thanks comrades